You are now listening to an episode of Hidden Voices. So sit back, relax and enjoy our community podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Hidden Voices. I'm your host Samir. Today we will be talking about employment in our second episode of this second season uh, focused on the theme of life. In this episode of Employment, we'll be discovering different aspects. And today with me co-hosting is Khalid. Khalid, say hi. Hello. Hey. <laughs> How you doing? Yeah, doing good. How about you? Yeah, yeah I'm doing pretty well. Um, and today with us as well uh, in the conversation is Hal, Farah and uh, Miriam. Just before we um, start off with the conversation, we're just going to go round table and ask everyone um, uh, what they do for a living as well as uh, what their earliest memory is of uh, what they wanted to be when they were, they were younger. So uh, we'll start off with uh, Hal. Hey Samir. Um, hey. Yeah, so so right now, so I do, um, I work part-time for UPRIS on a um, project that's um, unfortunately just been paused due to COVID-19, but we're going to pick that back up in September. I also work part-time for a hospice out in southeast London as a fundraiser um, and I run a part-time consultancy business as well and um, supporting small charities with their fundraising strategy and wider kind of planning and strategy. Um, and then earliest memory of kind of what I wanted to do was, um, was interesting. I was looking back at this and kind of thinking, I don't, I don't actually know in many ways because I think I, I would have been interested in um, any kind of sport and being probably professional footballers, the one that I thought about from a young age, but I don't think I ever believed I could do that. I think that was more of just a, um, a nice, nice idea for something I might like to do. And I could see myself kind of um, loving training and just playing football, playing any sport really. Um, but I wasn't very ambitious at all as a kid. I think it wasn't until I was like 18, 19 that I really started to have some kind of serious ambitions. All right, awesome. Uh, let's talk to Miriam. Miriam, how are you doing? Hi, Samir. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be part of the podcast today. I've been thinking about a lot of the things you've been talking about in terms of the employment. Um, and just before I start, I have to tell you that I've got my baby nephew next to me who's trying to sleep. So if oh, he does wow. get a bit okay. cranky, I apologise, but you Not know, to he's doing his thing at the moment, so he's fine. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so in terms of my introduction, at the moment, I'm managing a youth centre. Um, obviously, the services are closed at the moment um, and we're hoping to restart again, as Hal said, in September. Um, and I also run my own makeup services company, and this kind of looks at themes of inner and outer beauty from things like um, soft skills and confidence and even things like helping you look for a job, um, which is what today is about, I guess, and also um, other skills such as confidence building, as well as makeup and, and the beauty side of things. So in terms of the earliest memory of work experience, I think for me it was when I joined a law firm for two weeks in year 11. So the head lawyer was um, actually a friend of my dad's. So it was the, you know, learning the value of networking and connections. And actually what I really liked was that it was quite a diverse company. And I think from there, I knew that that's the kind of environment I wanted to be in where um, everyone is valued, regardless of background and kind of experience and things like that. 
So in terms of my experience, I loved working there and being part of a team. It was all kind of new, having meetings and briefings and line management and that sort of thing. Um, and I remember just really enjoying dressing up and speaking more formally even and being in that kind of environment. Um, I loved being around other adults and it was my first time commuting to central London. So I didn't see too many people that looked like me kind of on the tubes and the buses and things. But when I got into the place of work, it was a bit different. And so I liked kind of seeing the real world outside of school. Um, and I just remember that I wanted it to be longer than the two weeks. And also that the best part was learning about sort of colleague and client and other professional relationships. So I think that's what I took out of the whole experience. Amazing. Uh, moving on to Farah. Farah, if you could please introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Farah. I'm the uh, director and founder of Upress. And um, yeah, I guess my work involves really like what I love to do, which is the creative arts, storytelling and really making a difference in society and helping people as well. So I guess to answer your question, um, I was trying to think back while Hal and, and Miriam were talking, like, you know, what's my earliest uh, experience of, you know, uh, work and experience? I think just like you guys in school, uh, my first experience was in an in, in office environment where I was just making tea and coffee and, and filing uh, files. This is, you know, prior before smartphones and so forth. But I remember I hated it and I just really didn't really like connect with it. And I didn't really understand what I was learning to make tea or coffee, which I could do at home. Um, but I guess, you know, at that age, they, they didn't want to give you too much responsibility. Um, but yeah, looking back and reflecting back on it, I think at that age, you know, 13, 14, I didn't really have an idea what I wanted to do. Um, but I knew I loved stories and I knew there was some aspect to it that I would find, but I wasn't sure what, it would, what that would look like in the future. So it's interesting to reflect back and, and see as well. Right. And um, finally, Khalid, our co-host, tell us about your earliest memory of work experience, either work experience or uh, early ambitions when you were younger. I guess like um, like what I said, earliest memory for me is probably back in high school doing work experience. Um, I remember back in year 10, around 14, 15 years old, um, there was a long list of different type of jobs you could pick for two weeks. And one of them was Muslim Aid, a charity based in Whitechapel. And it was kind of um, a nervous experience, I guess, because this is the first time I actually left my area of living all the way, travel across the city. I live in Northwest, so I had to travel all the way to East London. And first time using a train system, traveling from one place to another by myself and consistently. And when I first got there, the charity looked, it seemed like it was kind of like a mess because they were not expecting me to work there, probably because there was the last second they jotted down as a uh, possible applicant to accept students for work experience. Uh, when I went there, everyone was um, accepting and caring and I really enjoyed my time there. But I guess the worst, the worst experience I had over there was there was like a room full of um, promotion more, promotion more, um, stuff like uh, leaflets and um, stickers and basically the whole room full of it so i spent what two three days organizing and it was it's taking a really long time but apart from that i learned a lot of skills and that's one of the reasons why i decided to go into the charity sector 
Nice. Um, so I guess for myself then, uh, my earliest memory of work experience, probably at the same time, uh, me and Cal went to the same school. So work experience was uh, probably yeah, 13, 14 years old. Uh, initially, what I applied for before the, the, the um, two weeks was to do something in like uh, engineering or something like that. But unfortunately, there was no firms that um, uh, supplied any like engineering work. So kind of went into like clearing and we had uh, this teacher called Mr. Idris. So for everyone, for all the guys who didn't like secure any work, work experience, we'd have to go into his office and uh, he'd just search online for uh, different firms that were hiring. And I basically uh, took the first one that came on that list and it was just a two week sort of work experience at uh, Swiss Cottage in Boots. Uh, it was a job of being like a sales assistant. And so it was uh, it involved just like talking to different customers and uh, and uh, like restocking the shelves and whatnot. Uh, based on what you said earlier about your worst experience as well, I'd say like, uh, even though like, Everyone was like amazing over there. Uh, I really got to connect with ev everyone, especially like the manager as well. Uh, usually I think yeah, it would be pro like proper intimidating to talk to like a store manager or something, but he was like pretty chill. Uh, but the worst experience that I probably had over there, <laughs> I was stocking up like near like the toothpaste section or something like that. And some like elderly customer came up to me and asked me about a specific like toothpaste, whether it was in stock. I told her like I would check, uh, but she ended up scolding me. So uh, yeah, I got a little bit upset, but uh, uh, luckily one of the other um, sales advisors came and uh, helped me out. And so, uh, yeah, for a long time, uh, I really, really disliked talking to like cranky customers, especially um, older ones who um, like didn't like immediately uh, got angry if I didn't know like a specific uh, item or something was available. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> but speaking about uh, experiences that like you disliked or hate, uh, are there any other examples that you guys could think of? Yeah, yeah, I would say for me, actually just going back to your question as well, I was just thinking about what you guys were saying as well. Do you guys remember like when you're young and you get your first work experience and how excited you are? You're going to be getting a taste out of your first job. Uh, I remember for me, like I was just really excited to put on a, a smart suit that was in a school uniform for the first time and a time and, and, and really like look forward to it. I remember waking up early, ironing my clothes and getting ready. I just loved that aspect. I remember that I really looked forward. I was just really excited. Other than obviously the job itself being just making tea and coffee and filing stuff, that initial uh, excitement, I, I, I can't forget. But how about you guys? Do you guys remember anything like that? I remember kind of, it's interesting when Khaled said about his kind of first experience. Um, I can't remember like the exact um, examples, but I feel like there's been lots of times where I've been like kind of nervous because I wanted to impress and I wanted to do well and you want to kind of get off on the right foot and you get there and it's almost like you've got the best um attitude or like you, you've got the best approach because everybody else is like say if you've gone to a, a workplace where it's very casual or it's very kind of um disorganized or um things aren't maybe happening the way you sh they should and if you arrive and you're kind of like on time you might be the, like the earliest person there despite the fact that it's like your first day um and yeah i feel like there were probably lots of examples of things like that where 
I think because you want to impress and you turn up and you're keen on the first day and then it's like oh actually <laughs> the bar kind of isn't isn't that high always yeah so for me um I guess probably the most exciting part was even though I was like a little bit nervous during the interview stage uh, just to be in that environment for the first time and having that experience of going in for the interview at the schedule like it was I think it was pretty early in the morning probably half an hour after the store opened and so uh, I've taken into I went with my mum to the store and uh, I was taken to a small room with the manager had a really quick conversation with him uh, even though like I said I was pretty nervous but uh at the end of the day yeah I did get the um, work experience I did get accepted for the work experience and he ended up shaking my hand at the end of the interview and so that was probably the highlight of my day that day because uh, I always seen like stereotypically whenever there's interviews on like TV shows or like Hollywood movies and like like you're sealing the deal when you when you get the handshake in it so that was like off my checklist for me so that was that was a good highlight for me as well as um in general that year was a pretty good year i think it was back in like 2012 or 2011 and i think uh it was probably like a world cup year or something like that in football or cricket and so we would be like chatting in between like shifts about like um like different matches and stuff like that so it was a pretty good conversation going on uh, behind the scenes yeah I agree with Samir especially the point where shaking hands when you're a young kid I remember when I went to my workers parents um, I, I brought my parents along with me um, back then I was a minor I didn't know uh, I, everything I learned from interviews I learned from TV and you see how you know there's like a, a line of like three or four people across the table and you're by yourself they'll be asking questions um, to try, I always figured they may try and ask you a trick question, but with my interview, uh, the person hiring me was really relaxed, really cool. Like I said earlier, he was kind of confused because I guess he is an international charity, so I don't think they look at this specific thing. So they just basically said, okay, uh, we have your name, come back on Monday morning. And I think best experience was probably me going by myself underground across the city, going to different places. And I remember going to the specific chicken shop because it's the first time I got um, some money I could spend wherever I want. So I kept on going to the specific chicken shop every single day. And a guy practically recognized me to the point where he said, oh, you love my chicken that much. You come to me all the time. I said, yes, I do. And I really did enjoy that freedom, I guess. But yeah, I'm glad I went through the work experience. So how about you, Maria? What was your best work experience when, when you was young? In terms of my work experience, I think the best was probably um, being paid for it because in, in, in terms of the school one, we weren't allowed to um, receive uh, remuneration, but I was getting money here and there for travel and expenses and food, and this was all new to me. So I really loved that aspect of it. And it just felt really good to come home after a productive day and feel that different kind of tiredness that was different from um, coming home from school, for example. And in terms of the worst one, 
I think it's similar to what Farah was saying. I, I don't think I made that much tea and coffee, but I was asked to do some filing. And after the first day, when it was new, it just got really boring and really old fast. So I think that was probably the worst bit. I bet you, you make a good cup of tea now as a result of it, right? And good coffee like me. <laughs> Honestly, I make them bad on purpose because then no one else needs to make it. So that's a tip yeah. for all you listeners out there. Yes. <laughs> that's a good strategy. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Nobody definitely. asked me to make it anymore. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. um, do, you, do you guys think um, younger people should have more work experience with more responsibility than what we have or what we did have? I think yes. I, I think I, there should be a little bit more trust with young people. Um, and also if you want them to get an idea of like the, the working environment and what it entails, um, you should definitely yeah, give more experience. And, and like I was working, like my work experience was in property. Uh, by the end of it, all I knew was like had to make tea and coffee um, as a 13 year old that didn't drink coffee or anything like that and how to file properly in alphabetical order but in terms of real estate and 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 sales and so forth they i wasn't given that responsibility and it's a shame because that would have probably you know maybe you know guide me in a different path in terms of the choices and career i would have chosen um but yeah so i do think yeah they, there's not a lot of trust and a lot of responsibility given to young people and i think partly maybe it's to do with uh, capacity and maybe um the, the level of work itself as well involved I think for me it was a bit different in terms of because it was a law firm I was allowed to go along with the lawyers to court so I went to the house of commons and the house of lords um, and as a 16 year old that was a huge experience and it was just really nice to be around um, that environment and just see what it's like inside a courtroom um, that was quite an eye-opener for me and I found it quite useful and just going back to your question about um, should young people have this opportunity, you know, more now? Well, in response to that, I found it very useful personally. And sadly, it's something that doesn't exist in school anymore in the way that it used to. Um, work experience, I think, happens a little bit younger, maybe. So year 10, because year 11 is obviously GCSE year. For us, we did it in the first two weeks when we came back after the summer holiday. So it was sort of mid to end of September. Um, and I understand the pressure that schools are under, but I also think that if you don't give them the work experience, it's difficult for them to then go on to their post-16 destinations without this. Um, so it's something that I would recommend. And also, I think we don't have the same sort of careers advice service that we used to before. You know, we had connections and all these other amazing organisations that you could kind of turn to for help with things like CVs and interviews and tips and things like that. Um, whereas if you do cut those kind of essential services, as far as I'm concerned, then you're going to see the impact of that later on. I totally agree. Agree. Um, speaking on uh, career advice services, uh, how effective do you guys think the whole career advice services were in school? For me, I'm about back in the year seven or year eight um basically our head of year mr toms um he interviewed me and discussing my career paths at the time i wanted to become a doctor and then he challenged me asked me um why do you want to become a doctor uh, at the time it was based most likely it was because my parents told me you should become a doctor you know um but i didn't really I, my heart was not in it so he kept on challenging me and i told him there's a lot of sick people in the world and he said, okay, 
why don't you become something else like a lawyer that way you can you know challenge um you know help them in court and get them more money and so on and i said that is possible but um i still want to become a doctor and then challenged me again saying asking me uh, why do you become a charity worker because um you can help people who are not sick but who are who need help i said okay maybe and then since then that specific interview i had back in year seven year eight it kept lingering my mind not only did it challenge um my preconception at the time that i should only become a doctor and that's the only way i could make you know my family proud and so on and help people there's there's no there's not only one possible um direction in my career and there's not only um um, the traditional jobs that like become a doctor, become a lawyer, become a politician. You could become, you know, a healthcare worker. You could become a charity worker. You could become um, anything that you want that could help people. So I was glad that I did have that interview back then. But I'm not sure if everyone else took that interview seriously because back then I was really young and not many people did um, had really, you know, forecast of what they want to become when they get older. I think it's, it's really interesting to say about kind of like forecasting what you want to become when you're older, because that, that was a big thing for me in terms of um, kind of who I was getting advice from. And I kind of felt that um, well, I still feel that kind of career advice is still really, really useful and um, young people should have all the kind of the options made clear to them. But I think there's a degree of it has to kind of be coming from the right people as well. And that if it's coming from someone who's not relatable to you at all, then it's difficult to picture yourself getting to that place. Um, but also if it's coming from someone who is in a place where maybe you can't see yourself going or you don't want to see yourself going. So say if it's coming from somebody who's talking about their career path, but they don't seem all that happy in that career, um, and you're unlikely to move in that way. And, and it's something I've talked with um, Farah about before, about kind of like motivation and mentors and kind of I was fortunate to have lots of great mentors in, in lots of areas of my life but I didn't feel like career satisfaction was an area that I really kind of looked up to anybody in and um, I've said kind of lots of times I felt that I had lots of people who would complain about the nine to five or about um, general work and kind of who weren't positive about work who didn't kind of seem to love work and um, I think while that was the case, I wasn't really taking the advice seriously from people because I couldn't see myself going, kind of walking in their footsteps. And um, so I think that's a big thing for young people, especially is that there's somebody relatable, but also somebody who's kind of inspiring them and um, somebody who they could see themselves doing either the same thing or, or something similar as. I would add something to that um in terms of you know having the right people so one is i think um you need to have proper funding for these sorts of important services and secondly you need to have the right qualified people as well so when you hear about career services and things not everybody has a great experience and i think one thing to note is sometimes girls are discouraged from things like stem subjects or taking on um things that are not um stereotypically true for what they're meant to be doing if that makes sense um so for example i was watching something this morning about home renovation um and the woman was really surprised that the young girl didn't want her bedroom in pink now this episode is quite old but still it's just surprising to see that even now with fresh eyes so i think it's really important that we have the right people telling young people that they can be whatever they want to be but you know make it easier for them so for example being told maybe you shouldn't be a doctor maybe you should be a charity worker 
I would maybe put that differently and say you could do this and you can also do this. And if you want to do this, these are the ways that you can go about it. Um, so one is about gender and then the other is about race as well. I've heard other horror stories about people being told they can't be this because of their background. Um, and so that's something we really need to be aware of now as well. I think just to really quickly sound, I think it's like, it's really important to get different people, isn't it? Different people, different perspectives so that that individual as a whole gets a different experience of what life could be for in that background. And they start to see all of the different ways that they could potentially go. But having, having different, um, different perspectives, I think is, is massive in that, in that career guidance, because you just don't know who feels whatever way they do in that, in that audience. Yeah, I agree as well, because like I was thinking about this and, I think we spoke about this as well, how, uh, like, who are your, like, you know, we asked this question as well when we did the session with uh, recent graduates, we asked them, like, who are your career role models? And in, in some cases, it was a difficult question to ask and uh, and answer as well. So if you think about it, like, early on in school, our role models, our career role models are teachers. Half, you know, some of the times the teachers are miserable and they don't really enjoy their work. The career services or the career coordinators, if for me, anyway, it felt like they were just ticking another tick box, and and then we have our parents and community, and unfortunately, like for my, I speak from my experience, like most of my family members and and friends and community members that I came across, they never seemed to really fully enjoy their job. It always felt like it was a means to an end, either to pay the bills, to support their family. So it, that kind of, in a way, shapes like um, what kind of career choices you want, and it obviously come from uh, being a first generation mate. Right? migrants to this country my parents wanted me to take the conventional ways like be a doctor be a lawyer you know much more stable and so forth but who like you know for me I, I didn't ha I didn't know any doctors I didn't know any lawyers so therefore I didn't have a point of reference I didn't know if they enjoyed their job if, if it brought fulfillment uh, it was only until later on uh, in stages and I find it quite interesting as well do you guys remember your your early I guess role model, career role models that maybe in a way influenced your choices and the, and the, the choices that you've taken forward up to this point. I think what you said earlier about teachers being role models is really important because the first job I remember wanting to do at age probably five or six was to be a teacher like mine. Um, she was really kind, she was smart, she knew what she was doing and she was she had really great leadership skills so much so that I still remember her fondly today and I'm now a teacher as well so I think we can't underestimate the impact and the power that people can have around you um, negative or positive really and so I think that's really important and then the other thing I wanted to mention is that I either wanted to be a teacher or an interior decorator you know interior designer which I've kind of different sides of the different ends of the spectrum but wow. um, now I'm teaching online mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm also re renovating my house you know on a personal project but still you know the things that you're interested in when you're young can lead to you know future development in it you know later on so I think that's really important to mention um, and then there was something else as well I'm not sure if I can remember now um, so I might have to come back to it. But yeah, that, that's what I wanted to say, that actually teaching and interior design, and now I'm able to still do those because of the inspiration and the kind of memories I had from being younger. For me, probably one of my, uh, one of my primary role models in high school was um, my English teacher, Mr. Casey. When I was younger, I wasn't really good at English 
uh, my English skills were lacking in terms of communicating verbally as well as uh, reading and writing. I had uh, a few learning difficulties and so that had a huge impact on not only my grades but how I communicated socially with different people and so before what happened was I think I probably did good in year seven in terms of getting into the top set of English but just before GCSEs I got um, put down to uh, second set. Uh, for me for a while that was a bit depressing because I had to tell my mum and dad that, that I went down from from first set and so it was a little bit sad for me but uh, it was something that I accepted and um, because I used to get like really really bad grades in English I was averaging about like D's and E's but as soon as I came into like Mr. Uh, Mr. Casey's class yeah he really um, changed the way I looked at English as a subject in general I think I remember uh, probably in year 10 having some of the worst grades in English but uh, there was a control assessment coming up for creative writing and I was really bad at creative writing so I didn't know what to do but uh, Mr Casey explained well, I should just take my time when writing something make sure I plan a story out uh, make sure I write the story step by step and make sure like there's a real progression in it even though like the story was like three to four written A4 pages I really decided then and there that I needed to um, think out what I was going to do so the theme for the assessment was like being trapped and the objective was like to write uh, the assessment all in uh, present tense and so I remember uh, creating this story about being trapped in like some scenario and I ended up getting an A for that subject and so that just really clicked in my head like wow I think I could probably do something in creative writing in English and so it wasn't until like um, I was 16 years old that I really thought to myself like uh, English or writing is a career that I can get into and so from then that's when I like started wanting to wanting to be in creative writing or journalism uh, so yeah I'd probably thank Mr Casey for that so uh, anyone else have any like role models that they could look up to in terms of uh, fueling their career path I was just going to really really quickly say I thought that's, it's massive isn't it how much kind of one person taking time and, and being patient with you um, as an individual can actually do and um, I'm sure Miriam will have kind of other thoughts on this as well as a, as a teacher but I've always thought if teachers could if they had the support and resources um, to be and maybe in some senses kind of smaller class I know it's one of the big kind of problems with um, being patient and kind of um, working with each individual really closely is that you've got a massive classroom to kind of um, to control and move in one direction but I think it's, it's massive when you see somebody who just needs that bit of patience in whatever Eric's we'll have weaknesses don't we and whatever area it is you need help with or support with um how kind of far that can go but i think and it's sad maybe how many opportunities are lost in um not necessarily teachers some teachers maybe aren't, aren't putting the effort in together but i think it's more often probably just its capacity and the ability to do that um for everybody in that class it's sad if those opportunities are, are missed 
I completely agree with how. Um, for me, when I was young, I always saw teachers as um, aliens in a way that um, they had the same authority as my parents. So I never really um, thought of taking teachers as a um, teaching as a, a great aspect. Um, I had terrible teachers over the years. It's not that because I was a bad child, probably because they didn't really care, I guess. That's what I thought at the time. And now knowing that, you know, teachers have their own lives, they have their own families, um, the job is it's overloaded and you know, it's not their fault, it's due to budget cuts, due to big classrooms, due to the fact that there's so many students. I remember um, teachers used to focus on, you know, always on the bad children, uh, children who disrupt the class. So to focus on them more on them. I wasn't one of those students, so didn't really care. Um, I never really had a role model to say, you know, to really affect the way um, my life went. And in terms of um, career-wise, so there wasn't really... My my family is similar to Farah, I guess. My family came over to this country. Um, I'm like the, I guess, second generation or first generation of um, East African family here. So those are really, you know, diverse career options I had to look out to. My dad is a carpenter, my mom was a housewife, uh, my uncles and aunties were either um, cleaners or either taxi drivers or, you know, jobs that you wouldn't, you wouldn't see high paying, you know, middle class people have. So I think that's uh, another problem I had growing up. I never really saw all the different options there were in terms of career-wise. I always thought, you know what, the traditional, you know, conventional jobs that become a doctor, a lawyer, a, um, a politician or teacher. I thought those were all the options you had. And that really um, governed most of my high school life and the choices I picked in A-levels, which I picked uh, biology, chemistry, math and so on, which I really hated and I really struggled. But that's, it all changed when I went to university when I realised there was dozens and dozens of different um, options. And I find it really incredible that like those things, those courses based on things I will never ever ex uh, expect and the choices was incredible and it really overwhelmed me. So I picked a random choice at the time. It wasn't random, but um, I, when I realized that I couldn't do medicine, I picked international politics and that really broadened my view. And that's, I guess that's, in terms of world I guess university was really, really had a massive impact of how I am now. And I'm glad that I did decided to choose an international politics because not only did I enjoy that subject, it also allowed me to um, see more of um, other options I had and which is the reason why I decided to start working for UPRESS. And that's one of the reasons why I wanna um, go into the charity sector. It's, it's really interesting from a, um, like when you talk about that, because the journey sounds kind of similar in terms of like not necessarily having, and like I, I can't, like I have to say, I'm really grateful for the role models I do have in my life, but not having kind of like a career role model was definitely challenging. And I think at the same, at the same as you kind of carried with um, when I got to university, that's when I kind of really started to kind of um, figure out what I wanted to do. And I was much happier with, with lots of areas of kind of um, my life and, and with careers, career side of things. And um just listening to it now, it kind of like I was thinking maybe I slightly, and it's going to sound really cheesy, but maybe I slightly became my own kind of role model in terms of saying, 
I knew the thing I wanted to get towards was just being happy and, and enjoying work. And I wanted to work in a job, a career where I was happy, where um, where I felt like I was working late. I wouldn't even notice it because I was just happy doing that. Um, and I didn't see anybody who was like that. I only kind of, like I said before, only kind of heard about the, the negative sides of work. Um, and may, maybe in that sense, we kind of became our own role models in terms of saying, OK, well, haven't seen anyone do it, but let's let's see if we can do it ourselves. I think that's actually a really good example how um, of how you can you you can go out there looking for role models in terms of your career and the choices that you want to make, but in in some cases you know you don't have the capacity or the connection, so you become your own role model. And going back to this as well, I guess in a way growing up, the other thing as well I think for me that I noticed that wasn't discussed was like money and career fulfillment. Um, because a lot of the time, you know, our parents wants us to get the doctor's job, the lawyer's job, the one that's paying a lot of money, but they don't realize, you know, did, does a person enjoy that job? Is that something that, you know, they're excited about? Is it more than just money and, 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 the, and the wages that come through? So I think even for me, I, I had to find out the hard way. Either I could chase the money and be very unhappy um, and have a less, you know, not fulfilling work. Or I could create the own paths and, and explore new ways of, of either, you know, making a living, but at the same time doing the things that I love. And then in doing that, and I think for just thinking about it now, what you said, how as well, you it automatically and, you know, consciously you become your own role model. You start to create your own path. Um, and I thought it was quite interesting. I think, Miriam, you've done that as well. I've seen in, in, like, in your entrepreneurship as well. Not only are you a teacher, but you also do your side hustle, a cake face makeup you also do consultations and training yeah so i'd be interested to hear your thoughts as well like um how you you navigate through that and how you're able to i guess make those choices and become in a way your own role model as well thanks farah it's a really useful question and quite an interesting one um i always kind of pause when people ask that question what do you do um, because I do so many different jobs and sometimes it's hard to kind of keep track. But as Hal said, it's that thing of you don't feel it if you're really enjoying what you're doing, because then it's your passion. It's not really work. Work itself has quite a negative connotation because it assumes that you're doing something really quite hard. Um, but when it's something that you love, then obviously you could do it forever, really. Um, so in terms of some of the jobs, I obviously said that I teach. Um, at the moment, it's online. Makeup stuff, I've had to stop. But in terms of the workshops and things, they're continuing. But I also manage a youth centre. I work in an academy um, part time as student services manager. So my whole thing is about solving problems, whether it's through art and beauty or education. They're all kind of linked together. Um, I'm really passionate about young people and working with different community groups. I do a lot of voluntary work as well. And so it sounds a bit crazy, but because everything is kind of part time and quite linked together, to me, it feels quite seamless, at least. And I think it's just about managing that time, managing your expectations and knowing what you're capable of. I know that if I was in the same job nine to five, I'd be really bored. So it's about. I think the financial side of it is really important because you have to live and in London it's so expensive and it's I don't think it's going to get easier for, for a long while yet. Um, and so you have to find ways to earn money, get a good income, but also enjoy what you do. So it's definitely a tall order, but, you know, I'm in my 30s now. I've had time to kind of process and develop and experience different um, work environments and set the standard that I want to achieve. 
So if I was to recommend it to anybody else, I'd say you have to know what you want. You have to try different things. And you always, always, always have to do something that scares you. Otherwise, you can't move forward. I think it's, it's a really interesting example because essentially what we're talking about is portfolio careers, aren't we? The idea that you could do not just one job, one one bit of income, but um, lots of different things. And that, that's a great example of something that probably, I don't know how many kids would know about that, would know that that lots of people, that well, that people do that and that still the emphasis is on that kind of one, as you said, um, I think it's Khalid said, or perhaps I think it's Farah actually said, um, kind of like stable, what your parents want is that stable nine to five safe income that kind of thing and actually I've again I've gone down the kind of portfolio career route where I'm able to do different things and I'm, I'm really grateful for that because that keeps me motivated in every every other area um, but I did I was kind of just going down the route and I was talking to somebody about that and they kind of said oh similarly they said what do you do and I was kind of saying oh I do this and a bit of that and a bit of this and they're going oh okay so you do a portfolio of a portfolio career and I was had no idea what, what that there was even like a, a definition for that um, but you only learn those things by somebody either doing your own research or somebody kind of um, telling you those things. And I think that would I think that'd be massive if more young people knew that that was a viable option, that they don't have to rely on one income stream that um, or, or that they don't have to put everything they do into one um, one area. You can kind of spread it out across. I think it's a good example of some of that stuff, maybe because it's more maybe more difficult because it's not the norm. It's maybe more challenging in some ways. Um, that it's not the thing that is so often told to, to children, young people, they're not often made kind of aware of, of things like that, even if it's more challenging, but maybe more rewarding in, in some ways. Just to jump in again, how I appreciate what you said, because it really resonates. The main thing I'd add on to what I said earlier is that you really have to know what your values in life are. And you press is really big on this because it's always the first thing that we do in our sessions. Um, and that's to think about sort of the group mission and aim and what kind of ties us together. And it's the same thing we can do in ourselves in terms of work, because if you know what your values are and what your mission is, let's say, for example, it's to make the world a better place, which is what kind of brings you pressed together. Then, you know, when other job opportunities come to you, you can see whether you can check in with yourself and see whether these are in alignment with your values and what you want to do moving forward. I've got one question for all you guys. Uh, in terms of your career so far, what is the most value, the most valuable skill that you've taken on? I think for me, the most valuable skill has been of communication. Um, and with part, you know, part of that is socialising and networking, because as Farah said earlier, everyone has a story and stories are what brings people together. And so if you're able to share your own story and listen to others, then you can make those connections between them um, and move forward together. So it's really important to be able to do that. And so through my work, I think from speaking to different children and families and young people and, you know, women, it's just been really exciting. And I guess that's what's driving me forward, just this desire to listen to even more stories and connect more people together. For me, I guess, um, is confidence and overcoming my fears. In terms of confidence, um, I really lacked confidence when I was in high school and when I was younger. Um, and then I guess over time and, you know, going to interviews, seeing new people, talking to other people and so on, and my confidence built up on that. I guess I'm more confident now than I was before, but I still do believe I'm still a long way to go to be more confident. Uh, in terms of fear, I know this sounds kind of stupid, but one of my biggest fears was, you know, 
again, I did a job, 95, first of my life, I'll be like 60, 70 years old. Um, that's when, you know, when you retire and then you have, I don't know, X amount of years until you live. And that's it. And my life will, at the end, my life will just uh, come to, you know, me, instead of focusing on what I wanted to do, I just wanted, you know, stability. I just wanted stability and just, you know, get my paycheck on the day and just go home, go to work, go home, go to work, go home. And the cycle, you know, um, that's I've seen so many times and, you know, in real life and also on TV when I was young about how, um, you know, people just work to live instead of living and make it work uh, instead of, you know, um, living the life and enjoying it. So I guess um, overcoming that fear, um, like how everyone here have like massive portfolios, I guess, um, that's what I need to build on. And hopefully I do enjoy whatever I choose to do in the future. Brilliant, really, really. I think, thank you, Khalid. Uh, and I think, you know, for me as well, just reflecting back and, and it links to Miriam's as well, Miriam's and um, what you just said as well. I think for me, it's really like, I think some of you, you, you probably noticed this as well. It's like, I listen very carefully and I've picked up the skill to basically process information very quickly and come up with ideas, um, which is good, but not, you know, it's, it's a lot of the good ideas and a lot of things that we've done so far has been through just really listening, listening to the community, listening to the, our partners. And, and I think that is probably one of the most valuable skills that I've picked up over the years uh, from, you know, from school days up to this point. Uh, and it's something that I definitely encourage, you know, it links with communication or aspects of communication and storytelling. And linking back to what I said earlier as well, like, you know, to really tell a good story, you gotta be able to listen as well. Uh, it's part of the whole process of, of human interaction. I was just, yeah, just thinking, I, I, I actually kind of like, I've slightly forgot the questions. I was so interested. All of those answers are really, 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 really interesting. And um, I think my, yeah, it's particularly, I know when Callie's talking about kind of that, that very real fear of kind of like, of ending up not being happy because you're, you're doing something that, and like the majority, to me it was always that idea, like the majority of your life, you're doing something that doesn't make you happy or the, it's just that repeat cycle of kind of, um, like you say, go to work, get up, not enjoying it, not, not being happy was, um, yeah, that was a very, very kind of real fear for me. And I think tying into that, the, the biggest thing that I've learned and kind of, I think um, maybe my biggest strength is is kind of an ability to be proactive and a kind of like a proactive mindset um, where I think for a good 18, 19 years, I just kind of waited for um, things to happen and for things to get better. And um, I waited to feel um, to feel the way that I do about work now. And I was just kind of waiting for that to happen. And um I gradually started kind of being more proactive and saying, well, actually, I'm not going to wait for this. I'm going to, I'm going to go and get it. And if somebody says, no, I'm going to, um, I'm going to try a different way. And we're going to, um, yeah, just be kind of persistent with, if I really wanted something, um, just within reason being kind of persistent with that. And, um, that's been the biggest thing that I think has, has helped me get to where I am now is that I've been proactive with stuff. And I think, um, anyone, anyone who wants anything, and they're kind of serious about that should should follow that too i think things things don't just just come to you yeah for me i think a valuable skill that i've learned over the years is uh also what khaled said was a uh, confidence even though there is uh, a few a few more steps i need to do in order to gain full confidence when especially when communicating to people but uh i think 
yeah, in high school, I had the same problem like Khaled. I had really lacked in confidence, but it wasn't until sixth form in university that I really tried to just step into different conversations and try and get what I want. Uh, there's that saying, if you don't uh, ask what you want, you're not going to get. And for me, that was the case almost all the time until uh, getting into university where everyone's very, very sociable and uh, you get into different like societies and whatnot uh, in the campus. And so it's required for you to just really communicate with others. And I think probably being in a society as like one of uh, like an executive member, uh, communication was always important, whether it was with the um, student union or whether it was with the uh, other university students and societies as well. And so, yeah, over the years, I've tried to adapt the way I communicate to people. Um, now that I'm at UPress, uh, I've been given different opportunities to go into networking sessions or get into meetings with other um, organizations that we might be uh, working with on a new project and also meeting a lot of different people that uh, UPress have worked with in the past. And so that's helped me ease into being uh, more confident and being able to communicate with different people. And in general, just uh, communicating with people helps you know a lot more about other people and what they go through. And so as a journalist and more importantly as a writer if you want to uh, develop your ideas and whatnot you need to listen to other stories and anecdotes that people have to tell you uh, that way you could be able to mold your ideas uh, even better and um, just really improve in terms of your conversational skills thank you Simon. that was amazing uh, and um i think yeah uh, it's a lot to to think about and i'm trying to think as well like one of the aspects if you could give an advice to your younger self like you know early days like um and also if you if you're talking to a young person right now you know still figuring out what career they want to pursue what they want to do in the future you know what advice would you give them um for me you know link it to what i said earlier it would be really just you know not being afraid to ask for help and being able to listen carefully to see what's out there. Um, but yeah, the first step is always, I say, is, is asking for help, asking for guidance and, and assistance. Um, but yeah, be interested to hear your thoughts as well. What advice would you give? Like now we've reflected quite a lot back on, you know, our younger days and the choices that we made in the career path that we've taken as long as, as well as the lessons that we've learned. Um, but yeah, be interested to hear what advice you'd give to a young person that's still figuring it out at early stages. I think one piece of advice I would give is um, to diversify your experiences. Even though it doesn't, it seems like a long time in high school, there isn't a lot of time in hand. But um, because you have, to an extent, a lot of freedom compared to um, when you're actually in the world of employment, um, you have a lot of summers and breaks that are free for you to actually go and get some valuable experiences. Um, whether or not you get paid, uh, uh, that's something else completely. Um, when I was younger, obviously, you didn't get paid when you were doing any like volunteering or anything like that. But uh, you shouldn't go into that mindset. You should always, whenever you're volunteering for uh, for an organization, you should 
all, always go for the valuable skills as something that you take out of it. So, um, like, I'll, the advice I would give would be probably, like, set, if you have your summer holidays, set at least maybe a month or two weeks every summer holiday just for work experience. I think if you diversify your portfolio at such a young age, you'll be able to, whenever you're in, in any like interviews or building your CV, your portfolio, you'll be able to put that valuable information in as well as learn all these like different skills that we've been talking about at an earlier age. And so when the time comes and you're in that seat for the interview for what career you wanted to go in, you'll be able to know what you're talking about it would be much more easier to get um, the positions that you want to be in based on the experience that you have earlier on in life. So I agree with a lot of what Samir said and what's been said already. Um, and I would, you know, completely add my support to the fact that you need to network and socialise. I would also say get as many mentors as possible. I don't think you just need to have one. Um, I have several for different areas of my life. Obviously, I have different types of jobs as well. Um, and so it's just really useful to have that kind of expertise at my fingertips where I can just call on for help. Um, so that's a really important one. The other one I would add as a note to myself before anyone else, and that's to keep updating your CV as you go along. So it's really easy to kind of say, I'll, I'll do that later. And then suddenly you're three jobs behind and you want to apply for a, a new job and now you've got more work to do. So as soon as you get the new role, update your CV and, as you go along. Um, and that will save you time in the long run. Also, you know, as Samir said, definitely volunteer, try different things. Um, I would also say create a physical portfolio. I know things are online now and that's definitely really valid. But sometimes, you know, things don't work. The Wi-Fi is not working or, you know, you don't have data or something and you don't want to look sloppy in an interview. So just having that um, foresight and being organised enough to have a physical copy can sometimes be that give you that edge over the other kind of um, I want to say contestant because it's a bit like a game show isn't it um, and I'd also say try and have an online presence if possible so obviously you work on your interview skills and things um, but maybe practice some with your friends family um, and also look at your own social media accounts. Are they public? If so, what are you trying to put out there? What are the key messages that people are going to get from you? And um, this all sounds really overwhelming, but I think I didn't have any of that information when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18. And if I had, maybe things would have worked out differently. So I always think it's really important to pass on this kind of knowledge because the world of work is changing all the time. You know, the advice that I would have got or received 15 years ago is completely different to what I'm saying now. Um, and really, my final point is just to be as creative as possible. You know, if you've got employers that are looking at the same CVs over and over again, and you've got people that are more experienced than you are, you need to think about your own unique selling point. What is it that makes you different and helps you stand out from the crowd? So you might want to have a, a different layout to your CV or you know, show some of the work that you're doing and showcase all your amazing skills because that's really what's going to help you in the long run. Thanks. I wish I, wish I had that when I was young. All oh, this advice when you, uh, from everyone here. Uh, for me, I guess I've um, one, I guess it's cliche, but I, know, I guess you heard this like a million times, never let um, failure define who you are and, you know, use that experience to grow. 
there's going to be so many times um, that you'll feel like you failed yourself or, you know, you failed someone or you think this failure could be the end of you. Don't let that overwhelm you in a way that um, define who you are. If you could overcome that, um, you, you'll grow as a person and you'll see more in life than beforehand. I, I guess um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that you have, to, you have to go experience it in order to understand how it feels. Like someone could tell you what failure feels like. You could, it feels like you know you're, disapp- you're disappointed. You know you're angry at yourself. You think you could have done better and so on and so forth. But I do think the best way to experience it is to experience it itself. So one, if you do ever get, if you ever do feel like you failed yourself, um, just look back at it as a lesson to teach yourself, to uh, learn from your mistakes, and continue moving forward because no one is perfect and we all, do, we all basically stumble across the way, but we should never let that stumble be the end of the road for us. So continue moving forward. I'm going to jump in again just quickly um, because there's a statistic that we need to be aware of, and that's that when women have 80% of the job spec um, fulfilled, but not the 20%, it puts them off from applying for the job. But it's found that men, if they have 20% of the job spec, they still go ahead and apply, even though they've got 80% of the skills missing. So this could be part of the reason why men tend to get those higher positions um, and women lack the confidence and the even the kind of, what's the word, the attention needed to just go for it and the boldness. So I always encourage women to try and just do your best and go for it because you never know. And I've always found that by taking risks and by being fearless, that's what's got me to where I am today. And it is scary. It is terrifying. But actually, when it pays off, it's the best feeling. And so I would encourage everyone to apply for any job that they think they could do. Even if you're not quite sure, just do it because you never know. Massively, massively, massively agree with that. And um, I, I, I didn't I didn't personally believe um I was I'm obviously not a woman but I wasn't I felt in that kind of um that place where I would look at job descriptions I actually looked at them when I was a young person and thought it doesn't look like any job works for me because I don't see how I could have um the years of experience or or tick all of those boxes and if I have ticked all those boxes it just felt like a weird weird concept and I'm so anti so many job descriptions in some ways I think that job descriptions can be incredibly um and an application spec um application specs can be so kind of lazy in some respects and can discourage people from applying and um yeah 100% agree with your your point Miriam and um and it wasn't until I actually started talking to recruiters um and they started I remember I had a a really interesting conversation with a recruiter where she said to me um I said oh I I just want to be really upfront I don't have that like points one two and three I don't have those things is it worth me applying and she said um over the she said oh I've just spoken to them on the phone earlier today and they're actually not really that bothered about those things like it's kind of nice if someone has them it's like and I'm like, but they're put down as essential why are they <laughs> and that was um so uh, yeah 100% agree I think if you just just go for it you've, you've got nothing to lose um so yeah go for it and I think the, the one bit of advice I think I'd give to myself and it comes back to that kind of wanting to be happy and wanting to feel fulfilled with work is is not to settle um there's been times where it's been kind of really, really, really tough and um, it's felt like there's lots of barriers and it's not been clear how kind of um, how I was going to get to where I wanted to get to, but just not settling for something. If and, and only, you know, kind of 
um, whether you really want something or whether you're not that bothered and you can do something else. But if, if you really, really want something, not not settling, not letting anybody tell you you can't have it. And um, and that kind of includes like the voices um, in you saying, oh, am I good enough? All of those things. And if, if you want it, then just don't settle until until you get there. And that, that's not about rushing to get there or being impatient. It's just um, not kind of not losing sight of that goal, whatever it is. Sorry, I just want to add something else quickly. Um, and that's um, the importance of having things readily available. So first I said to, you know, make sure you've, you've got that hard uh, copy of your portfolio and CV and things like that. But it's equally important to have things accessible on your phones. Um, most people have smartphones now and things like Google Drive and Dropbox. Um, so I found that having my CV and things ready on Google Drive means it's really easy for me to do one click applications for different jobs and things. At the moment, obviously, a lot of jobs are online and things and and the competition is fierce. So just being able to apply quickly on your phone here and there has been really useful for me personally. Um, and just to mention that for young people now, especially, they are really in a double bind or a catch 22 because you, as Hal said, you, you're you know, the, the job specification says that you need to be experienced and qualified. And how can you have those things unless somebody gives you a chance and takes a chance on you? Um, so the other thing I would add is that when you do get that role, even if it's not something that you ideally see yourself doing in the future, I would say block out time where you can to do other things. So, for example, I took on an admin job while I was doing my master's um, a year ago, over a year ago now. Um, and I found it really useful because the work wasn't too difficult. And in between um, clients or, you know, students and things like that, I was able to actually do my university reading, um, apply for other things, make sure my own admin was being kept up to date. And actually, I found that really useful because I was able to run my own life alongside this job that was paying the bills and giving me experience. So it, it's not easy and you definitely have to kind of be strategic. But it's that part of learning new skills and just being really flexible and adaptable and hopefully in the end reaching those goals that you're really going for. Some solid pieces of advice from all of you guys. Um, are there any other aspects of employment that you'd like to discuss? Um, I think just really quickly in terms of what Miriam's just said about, I think made a really, really good point about um, giving young people a chance. And, and part of that has to come from us as well, I think. I was talking to um, some university students a few months ago and we were talking about kind of how it feels when you apply or you get in touch with an organisation and you ask about experience and no one comes back to you or um, and, and how that kind of feels. And I ended by kind of saying, even if you can't kind of um, do anything about that situation, when you get into a position where you're um, you have the chance to hire somebody who you maybe have to take a risk on because they're a bit younger um, or that you have to kind of uh, let someone know that they're not getting the job, but you you should give them feedback and actually change the system in that way. I think we all have, um, we all play a part. It's not just about um, young people trying and kind of keep persevering. It's about us actually, when we grow up, not just kind of falling into the same pattern of, oh, I don't have time to send feedback or um, actually it's kind of, I'm gonna take the easy, um, the easy option and apply this and um, um, employ this person rather than the younger person. Um, and I think it's really, really easy to fall back into that um, that trap of just repeating the same thing and becoming the person that you were kind of angry at five years ago. Um, so I think it's really important to break that that system. I think we all play a key role in that. 
You know, I agree with you completely, Hal. And it's something actually um, I've kind of like consciously and I made an effort to implement with you press as well. And I've actually seen a benefit of that as well. When you take a risk on someone that, you know, um, has got the drive and, and a passion to to learn and really better themselves, but they just don't have the experience yet. And I've seen, you know, the impact it can have, like when we've done that. And, um, and like, you know, half of our, you know, if not, if not, if not, 80 or 90% of our workforce and freelancers have, have come up through our projects and the work that we do. So definitely, I think, yeah, we all have to take a responsibility in, you know, in, in, in just remembering that, you know, where, what it was like to be at, at the early stages of your career, still trying to figure out what you want to do. Um, I don't even go even a step further and say, you know, like, um, I, you press if, you know, if any young person is listening and, and they're still figuring out what they want to do, uh, and they've got a specific skill set, reach out to us because at the moment um, we're going to be recruiting and uh, working with freelancers and creatives and artists. So if you are a young person out there or young creative or just a, just a you know community member that's interested in, in, in making a difference, do reach out to us. This is our, our way of giving back as well. Um, yeah, those are really good points, uh, Miriam and Hal. I'm just going to jump in again quickly um, and say that, yes, I agree, young people, um, the best place to start is UPress because it is so open and welcoming um, and has so many opportunities for young people. It's a really great thing to have on your CV and to meet other people and, you know, like-minded friends and it sort of becomes a family. Um, and just the other couple of points I wanted to raise. First of all, I'm aware that I'm the only woman in this conversation right now. And so it was e really important for me to agree to be part of this, even if it's something new that I haven't done before, really. Um, so it's the same message to other young women and other people out there that may feel, you know, that they're not really part of the group or the conversation. Make your seat at the table because you have to. People are relying on you to do this. Um, and a way that can help you as I said before, is to have different mentors. But I think it's also equally important to mentor others. So I learned something, I heard something many years ago at a Deloitte conference, um, and this was teach um, as you climb, so lift as you climb. And this is that every time you go up at a level, you bring others along with you. So as I'm being mentored, I'm mentoring other young people. And my condition is that you must mentor somebody else. So it's each one teach one. And that to me is really, really key. Um, if you're not able to do that, or even if you are, you really need to create or be part of some sort of peer support group. And this is where you can get access to the expertise of your peers and the people around you. Um, and it's really important to do things like practice your interview skills. Um, I've had situations where I've been a horrible boss or I've had somebody be really mean in an interview. And because it was so difficult to kind of be put on the spot that way, by the time I got into the real thing, I breezed it because I'd been through the worst already. Um, and it might sound dramatic, but I actually found it really useful. And I've never forgotten that. Um, coming back to having a seat at the table, we must absolutely pass the mic. And UPress is exemplary for this. And that's why I've been with UPress for so long. Um, and I just love what Farah said earlier about making that conscious effort to include everybody. Um, and also, I think Khalid mentioned earlier about, you know, needing to take risks. And finally, I love what Hal said about needing to have a portfolio career, because in this day and age, in the way what the work, well, the world of work is now, um, this is how we have to be moving forward. Thanks. 
think if, if nothing else, it's been really, really interesting to listen to all you guys. So thank, thank you for, for everything everyone's shared. It's been, yeah, it's been, even if it's, I'm sure it will be useful for lots of other people, but even if it's just, just um, useful for us, it's been, yeah, it's been yeah, really, yeah. really interesting. So thank you. Thank you guys for joining us as well today. And um, yeah, it's been really insightful just to hear your experiences and your journey as well. Um, and like Samir said as well at the beginning in Khalid that this is uh, our second season of Hidden Voices and this is the second episode looking at employment and hopefully we want to do more episodes that cover different topics and different aspects of life. So definitely do reach out to us if you want to get involved in any one of our episodes. But yeah, I'm going to pass you on to Samir, our host, and Khalid. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Uh, it will be available on SoundCloud, YouTube, and of course, scribershive.com. Remember to tune in to the third episode of Hidden Voices. We'll be discussing about health and well-being with some experts. So yeah, Khaled, do you have anything else to add on? No, it's a great, great podcast. Really informative. And hopefully, um, even, even if one person gets something out of this, I'll be really happy. Great. Thank you guys for listening. And remember, if you do want to get involved in UPress, please uh, come into communication with us through our website or contact us at upress.org.uk. Thank you guys. Thank you.